0: So if you're new to us, we've been in a sermon series entitled, Obey Everything, which is taken from the Great Commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. So we've been looking at the commands of Jesus primarily in the Gospel of Matthew, and we started this last February. And it will take us, this particular series will take us all the way through Easter, and then after Easter and April, I'll have a new sermon series entitled Transformed, and we're going to deal with the transgender issue in that series. The command we're looking at today comes from Matthew chapter 24, and is Jesus' command to keep watch. Keep watch. So we're going to keep watching today, and he said that in the context of his second coming and the end of the world. So it's kind of important. And here's, here's something for you. By the end of this message today... I'm going to tell you when Jesus is coming back. That's right. I've puzzled it out, and uh, I'll let you know. And my presentation will be so compelling that 99% of us here are all going to agree with me on that. And Some of you already know where I'm going with that. But before that, what does it mean to keep watch? Well, as usual with me, it means three things. First of all, we want to keep watch in a socio-political way, and we do that by understanding the times. It means to understand the times. Matthew 24, verses 1 through 3. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, His disciples pointed out to Him the various temple buildings. But He responded, Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later Jesus sat on the mount of olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, "Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world?" Now I want you to notice that the disciples have asked Jesus two questions. They thought it was one question, but it's really it's two questions. They said, "When will this happen?" was question number 1, and that was in relation to the prediction Jesus made that the temple buildings would be destroyed. When will that happen? And then the second question is what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? That's question two. So that's critical for understanding the structure of Matthew 24. Making the right applications here. So I know we have a lot of Bible students here this morning as well as students of history. And some of you know the answer to the first question that the disciples asked, which was, When will this happen? When will the temple be destroyed? And if you know, just tell me, When was that temple destroyed? What year? Well, close, Steve. Now, 8079. HD? 8070. 8070. That's when the Jews, having rebelled and rioted against their Roman overlords one too many times, Rome sent their army against Jerusalem under the leadership of a future emperor named Titus. This is about A.D. 66. He laid siege to the city of Jerusalem, and in A.D. 70, the city of Jerusalem fell and was destroyed, and that temple was leveled. It was destroyed in 8070, just as Jesus predicted. Jesus, this was actually a judgment against the nation of Israel, culminating in the destruction of that temple. And that's why Jesus says in verses 34 and 35 I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words. Will never disappear. This generation, the generation that Jesus was talking to, he said, will not pass away until all these things have occurred. What things? Everything he predicted up until verse 35. All of those signs in those 35 verses were fulfilled, they have come to pass. They were signaling the destruction of the temple in AD 70. We're not going to get into the weeds of all those signs, but just we're just taking the 20,000 foot view this morning. But he predicted things like false messiahs and prophets and wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes, persecutions, all of that leading up to the destruction of the temple, including this Old Testament formula for God's pronouncement of judgment on a nation. He says this in verse 29, The sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That did not happen literally. His Jewish audience would recognize this as a symbolic, apocalyptic formula that the prophets in the Old Testament used when God was pronouncing judgment upon a nation. They used it against Egypt, against Assyria, against Babylon, and against Israel. So this judgment took place. And that's why Jesus says to his audience in verses 16 through 19, then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down and into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. What difference would any of this make if Jesus was talking about the end of the world? What difference was it, would it make if you were a, a pregnant woman or a nursing mother or sweet 16 and never been kissed? If it's the end of the world. But if Jesus is warning His followers and His disciples, when you see these signs, you need to evacuate out of Jerusalem post-haste, no time to be lost, then it makes sense. And that's what they did. Now, historically, we know during That A.D. 70 destruction, Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, estimates over a million Jews lost their lives in that siege and in that battle. But no Christians, as far as we know, no Christians. Because the Christians had fled the city, as Jesus had told them to. Ancient historian, fourth century historian Eusebius writes, the people of the church in Jerusalem were commanded by an oracle given by revelation before the war to those in the city to depart and dwell in one of the cities of Perea called Pella. And to it all those who belonged to Christ traveled from Jerusalem. Another ancient historian, 4th century historian Epiphanius, he writes, After the exodus from Jerusalem, all the disciples went to live in Pella because Christ had told them to leave Jerusalem and to go away since it would undergo a siege. So even though all those signs have been fulfilled, they're not really relevant to the second coming or the end of the world, I still think there's an application for us today. And just as Jesus was warning his disciples to pay attention, to keep watch and watch for these local signs in the social and political environment, we can do the same thing. We need to stay engaged and be aware of what's happening in our society, what's happening in our culture, what's happening politically, so we can do like they did. Minimize the danger and the suffering to our families and our people. And they totally exempted themselves from the horrors of war. And I say stay engaged. We don't want to withdraw. We stay engaged. When Christians stay informed and engaged socially, politically, and culturally, we can advocate for good law. And advocate for against bad law and bad policy, and that's just another form of neighbor love. It's one of the ways we are salt and light in our community. A lot of our our Christians and our church members are very active in our socially and go to the school board meetings and advocate or are politically active. I think that's good, not bad. That's not making politics your God. God is still our God, but it's wanting to influence our society and be salt and light so that's number one understand the times Uh, a second way to keep watch eschatological watchfulness eschatological watchfulness mind the time mind the time look at verse 36 Jesus says but about that day and hour no one knows now So here in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus pivots. First 35 verses are dealing with the destruction of the temple in the city of Jerusalem. From verse 36 on, Jesus is talking about, he shifts, answers the second question, what is the sign of your coming in the end of the world? And he says, of that day and hour, no one knows. Now, eschatology is a subset of theology And it is the study of the last things. It comes from the Greek word eschatos, which means last. And Jesus says, no one knows. And basically, what about the signs? Steve, if that's the case, no one knows the day and hour. What about the signs? I mean, what about the beast? What about the man of lawlessness? What about 666? 666? Tattooed on the forehead. What about the chip the government's going to try and implant under our skin so we can't buy or sell without their permission? What about the events in the Middle East? What about the left-behind series of books and movies? What about all that, Steve? Glad you asked. Let's continue with Jesus' teaching, verses 36 through 39. But about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So if we got any signs here, here they are. We got the eating and the drinking sign. You probably saw this one before you came to church this morning, right? Sitting across from your spouse, eating breakfast. Oh, there's the eating and the drinking. Or watching your kids or your grandkids as they ate in their disgusting way. We see this sign typically three times a day with snacks in between. And then the other sign here is marrying and giving in marriage. All right, so there's marrying and there's giving in marriage. And we've got a couple of marriages coming up in our own little congregation. There are weddings on the calendar. Head for the hills. No, there's nothing particularly significant about eating and drinking and marrying, giving in marriage. It sounds like business as usual. And I believe that's exactly what Jesus was saying. It's going to be business as usual. There are no signs indicating the immediate return of Jesus. And while left behind may be good fiction, and that may be debatable, it's not particularly good eschatology so if there are no signs what are we supposed to do keep watch verses 42 and 44 therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come so you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him Now, we can understand God's thinking on this knowing human nature about not giving any signs I mean, we got any procrastinators out here? Remember remember when you were in school and the teacher said, all right, class, now at the end of the semester, your term paper will be due. And it's going to be worth half your grade. And you have nine weeks to work on it, so you need to start now and get to work on it. So what did you do? Did you start now? No. You waited until the night before it was due. You got a six-pack of Red Bull and a bunch of caffeine pills and you pulled an all-nighter and you called your girlfriend or your boyfriend over or maybe your parents to type it up. You crammed and you were happy to get a C-minus or a D-plus and pass the class. Louis Armstrong said, without a deadline, baby, I wouldn't get nothing done. And here's what some people would do. Not necessarily anybody here, but in that early service and in the next service, Yes. So Jesus has six signs lined up pointing to the immediate return, uh, his return. Some people would look at that and say, all right, until I see these signs, I'm going to enjoy the pleasures of sin and just walk on the wild side and party, party, party. And once we get down to that fifth sign, then I'll get right with God. I got the best of both worlds. Not everybody would, but some people would do that. Jesus tells us, I I put it this way, to mind the time. Since no one knows, mind the time. Remember that old expression? Mind the time. Mind the time. Remember, that means not much time. Time is short. Be aware of the time. I think Jesus' teaching about the end of the world and the Bible in general is intentionally ambiguous. Intentionally. So that every generation can live and should live as if we are the last generation. That we should all live with the expectation that Jesus could return at any time. If I understand what the Bible teaches, there are no signs left to be fulfilled. There is no alignment that needs to take place with certain nations or the nation of Israel. The temple does not need to be rebuilt. There will not be the rise of some individual, evil individual before Jesus can return. There's nothing preventing the return of Jesus now, right now. And even if Jesus does not come back right now or today or tomorrow, there are two ways for this world as we know it to end. Right? One way is for Jesus to come to us, And the other way is for us to go to Jesus. When we die, the world as we know it has ended. Most of you probably know our dear sister, Virginia Anderson, passed away this last Monday, previous Sunday, or a week ago, two weeks ago rather, on Sunday. She was in church worshiping. Right over there, her seat, second row back, on my left. That's her spot. Did she know two weeks ago on Sunday as she was worshiping that eight days later she would be with the Lord in paradise? That the world as she knew it would come to an end? Of course not. But was she ready? Yes, she was. Because she was keeping watch. At some point in her past, she had trusted Jesus, repented of her sin, confessed Jesus as Lord, was baptized into Christ, her sinned were washed away. She was living in a state of grace and forgiveness. Her eternal life began on that day and now continues in paradise with the Lord. Psalm 90 verse 12 reads, Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Martyred missionary to the Alka Indians, Jim Elliott said, Make sure when it comes time to die, all you have to do is die. Mind the time. So we're keeping watch, we're understanding the time, we're minding the time, and then the third way I call this spiritual watchfulness is to redeem the time. Redeem the time. Matthew twenty four forty six. Jesus said, "Servants are fortunate if their master comes and find them doing their job." So Jesus concludes this chapter with a parable, and the parable has two hypotheticals. In the first hypothetical, a master goes away. He leaves his business under the control of one of his servants, and while he's gone, that servant is faithful. He takes care of his subordinates. He's doing his job. When the master comes back, finds him working hard, and he's rewarded. In the second hypothetical, master goes away, leaves the servant in charge. The servant thinks to himself, my master's going to be gone a long time. And he begins to abuse his subordinates. And he's partying day and night. And Jesus said the master returns at an unexpected time, surprises him. And he is punished very harshly. In this scenario, the way to keep watch is to keep busy. Keep busy doing the good works that we are created in Christ Jesus to do. Jesus said in John 9, 4, We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us. By the one who sent us, the night is coming, and then no one can work. Back in the old westerns, like with John Wayne, he would say, Come on, man, get up, let's get going. We're burning what? Burning daylight. We're burning daylight. William Miller was a devout Baptist and student of the Bible. In 1818, he calculated a date for the end of the world By using a strictly literal reading of the first chapters of Genesis and other prophetic events in the Bible, Miller predicted that Jesus would make his return and the world would end on October 22, 1844. After publishing a book about his theory, he set off on a speaking tour of the Northeast. Despite many scoffers and doubters, he steadily gained followers. By 1840, Miller had gathered a sizable following of between 50,000 and 100,000 Millerites most of whom lived in central and eastern Massachusetts. As the year of the expected apocalypse neared, believers in the prophecy began to give away their belongings. They abandoned their jobs, their crops. They sold their cows and their land. Women cut off their hair, removed the ruffles from their dresses, threw away or gave away their jewelry and in some cases everything they owned, wanting to be suitably attired for heaven. Millerites made long white garments for themselves. They called ascension robes. On October 22nd, believers donned their robes, climbed up hills, mountains, the branches of apple trees to gaze to the sky and await the coming of the Lord. When the prophecy failed, the vast majority of Millerites were devastated. Many were impoverished. A remnant continued to believe They reinterpreted the meaning of the prophecy, and today's Seventh-day Adventists carry on Miller's teachings. Now, my point right here is not just that Miller got the date wrong. Of course, he got the date wrong. But that even had he got it right, his followers were not keeping watch the way Jesus said to keep watch. When Jesus returns, does he want us Does he want to find us dressed in white robes and sitting on hills or climbing up into the branches of orange trees or on the roof of the church and gazing into the sky? Or does he want to come back and find us in our work clothes? Not leaving our jobs, but working our jobs and earning money so that we can support the kingdom and and missionaries and worthy missions. And does he want to find us sitting in, a, in the tree, looking up or on top of the church building, or does he want us inside the church building? Does he want us to sell the cow, or would he rather find us milking the cow? He wants to find us working, doing the works that he has given us to do. He wants us to be busy, whether it's volunteering over at Care Net or The Source or United Against poverty or in one of the church ministries or in a life group wants us to find us reading the Bible and praying and worshiping keep watch by keeping busy redeem the time make the most of every opportunity on Sunday morning when Virginia Anderson had her stroke she was getting ready for church she was getting ready to come to church Jesus found her where she was supposed to be, doing what she was supposed to be doing. So I said I would tell you when Jesus was coming back, and you probably anticipate what I'm going to say. When is Jesus coming back? Jesus is coming back when Jesus is ready to come back. Amen? I told you you'd agree with me about that. He's going to come back when he's ready, but the question always is, are we ready? Are we ready? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this record that shows Jesus knew what he was talking about when he prophesied the destruction of that temple and pronounced the judgment upon that generation, that nation of of Israel. He knows what he's talking about throughout all of the commands. And that's why we strive to obey everything. And as we look forward to his return, we want to Understand our times and mind the time and redeem the time and make the most of every opportunity. And we echo the words of John in the book of Revelation. Come quickly, Lord, come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen.